You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. All right, Global Trade This Week coming to you once again. I am one of your hosts, Doug Draper, um, and my other host on the other coast who's complaining about snow this morning is my good friend, my partner in crime, Mr. Pete Mento. Pete, talk to him about the snow. You're all fired up about it this morning. I hate it so much, Doug. I hate it. And I, I used to love it when I was a kid. You know, I was texting with my, my daughter this morning and she was so full of joy at this, at this, at the white death, the devil's dandruff, the Connecticut cocaine falling from the sky. I hate it so much. I need to move someplace where it's warm. My skiing days are past me. I could care less if I ever do it again. All of the mm -hmm. things I love to do, um, you know, mostly involve being as far away from weather as possible, like drinking inside and reading inside and watching television inside. Um, I've, I've really had it with this stuff, man. And every time I talk to you and Keenan in the winter, it's like, Hey man, did you get back country. And what was it like? And it, you have no idea, Doug, how much it fills me with dread. The idea of like being out in the backwoods of Colorado in snow up to my waist. Yeah. That, is, that sounds like torture to me and no. you guys pay money to go and do that no it's beautiful last week we'll, we'll jump to the show here in a second last week we drove up to um grand county outside of a town called frazier and we were way back in the woods it was 7 30 in the morning on a sunday nobody was around we didn't see a soul for probably two and a half hours we were cross-country skiing and the snow was white it was deep it was quiet and we had an amazing, amazing time. And on the way out, we saw a handful of moose, um, which was a little scary on the back end of that. But I'll tell you what, man, that was uh, that was a fun weekend, fun trip. Seen lots of moose, Doug. I've 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 already done all that. I'm I'm nearly 52 years old. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't need any more of that. You know, on Saturday, Amy said, "Hey, how about we walk up to the park with the dog and go for a walk?" And I said, "How about no? How about?" <laughs> How about we just sit here and enjoy our coffee instead and watch the news. And later on, I'll put the Jeep in four wheel drive, take you to BJ's and we'll get some steak for dinner later. How about that? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's and, hilarious. And guess who ended up being told to go for a walk anyway. So, yeah, I know what you did after that. What I'm told. That's what I did, Doug. I did yeah. what I'm told. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you that we're going to start the show right now. And of course it's brought to you by Cap Logistics, our good friend at caplogistics.com. Keenan makes it all happen, and thanks for Cap for uh, putting you and I on on uh, screen every single week. So, with that being said, uh, we got some good ones, and I, I'm looking forward to your halftime comments based on our intro here. So uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, true. Let her rip, my friend. What do you got? Yeah, speaking of cold, uh, so one of the more fascinating modes of transportation that we sell and deal in when it comes to international logistics is reefer cargo, and also just temperature controlled cargo. And that has so many forms, everything from this idea of ambient temperature to different gradient temperature. There are, um, there are delivery methodologies where it's colder in certain areas of a tractor trailer. So you can have different types of volume, but, but really the whole point that I wanted to bring up today, Doug, is that in my time in this business, going back to the nineties, this has been something that people put a lot of focus on and, and that really stems from three particular industries. The first being semiconductors and technology, which mm -hmm. have needed a lot of focus on temperature controlled 
And the second one, of, of course, being pharmaceuticals and medical devices, which have a lot to do with temperature control. And the third being food, produce, and consumables, food and drink, which have always had a lot to do with it. But the things that fall into those categories have expanded. The temperamental nature of things that go into those categories has expanded as well. And I think that our ability as a service offering in logistics has gotten more and more pointed at it. And um, you know, I'm happy to admit I'm not exactly the smartest guy when it comes to that stuff. It's not a big part of what I do as a trade professional. But so much of what I've had to deal with has an aspect of temperature control with it. And what fascinates me, Doug, is with all the other things that logistics technology has focused on, because it has focused on, on devices inside of tractor trailers, devices inside of containers. I don't really see a lot of focus by logistics tech firms on the area of temperature control, not as much as I see on other relatively, um, you know, hyper-focused areas of logistics, like as an example of defense, footwear, mm -hmm. retail, you know, but I'm not seeing it as focused on these areas, which are never going away. People are always going to be sick, right? People are, are in love with their electronics and people are certainly always going to eat. So you think there'd be a deeper focus on it. And most of the major freight forwarders have entire verticals that are focused on these areas. But have we really seen them do anything dramatic? Have we really seen this particular area of our business move forward in a big way in the past 20 years? I don't know if I'm seeing it, Doug. And I, I would imagine that it would be an area, given how things are changing post-COVID, that people would maybe put a little more effort into in the hopes of gathering some of that market, maybe becoming more profitable. It's just one of those things that made me scratch my head, Doug, when I started thinking about it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I got a business plan that I want to show to you that requires about a $50 million investment, which um, is... Uh, I'll write you a check, buddy. Yeah, exactly. But that's when you first brought this up, um, the first thing that came is the, uh, the capital, the, the infrastructure yeah. that needs to be out there. Now, especially in the pharmaceuticals, there's all kinds of niche things and virotainers and and here's this special box that can go on an airplane and you can regulate it and things of that nature. But outside of those niche niches, um, uh, it's you're you're spot on. Immediately, I said, okay, what about an ocean container? The fact that we can't even reposition dumb boxes that just have nothing inside of them, and we're having difficulty. Imagine if there's fixed number of assets that we need in order to provide temperature controlled service, trying to reposition them in the area that needs to happen in the moment that needs to happen because of the in, inherent nature of uh, perishable is the whole reason a lot of these things have to be temperature controlled, whether it's cold or, or, or in a very finite window. So I think the assets and the repositioning and making sure that they're there, that's a big problem in my opinion with, uh, with the ocean freight. Um, and just the, the capital intensive nature of it. I do believe that if you and I, I'm not very familiar with the pharmaceutical vertical, and you said there's a lot of companies out there that specialize it. I think if we pulled the onion back and anybody listening to the show that has experience in that, uh, uh, in that expertise, I think that there's probably more things out there than you and I realize. But on a massive scale, um, it, it is difficult uh, to engage and get into that. And there's a lot of uh, the value of cargo can be astronomically high compared to, to what you think a truckload of almonds or a truckload of produce can be, you know, you know, from your C.H. Robinson days, right? That's kind of their, their bread and butter. The value of that cargo can be extremely high. And so it's, uh, it, it's interesting. 
But the bottom line that you mentioned, Pete, is that nobody's really gone after it. There's not a lot of technology other than a sensor you can put into a box to see what's going on and maybe some enhanced tracking. Um, but you're right, it's, it, it's interesting. I think the whole concept is a little too niche, uh, too niche, if you will, to, um, to really expand beyond uh, um, you know, the verticals that it's already in. But good, good point. Yeah, I, I, what really got me started thinking about it, Doug, is I recently I watched a, um, a presentation online by a colleague, and I was a little shocked to find out that reefer ocean containers have not evolved very much from the first time I came in contact with one in 1991 as mm -hmm. a seagoing cadet. So what I saw in 1991 on a ship really hasn't changed very much in 2023, and that really got my attention. Um, you know, there's a bunch of friends of the show that are in pharma. You've got Brad Elrod, who's over at McKesson. You certainly have Chuck Forsyth, who's the head of the HDA's group on cargo security. And the list goes on and on. Um, you know, Nate White over at Sanofi Aventus. And these guys would, would say to me, there's so much that has to go with the temperature controlled and the devices, as you said. I'm wondering why one of these software companies has not, given how expensive and how temperamental and, and how much money is to be made. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, the profit levels that are so much higher on this stuff, why they haven't bothered to put a little more time and effort into it. But, you know, Doug, we're, uh, I would be shocked because we do like to tell the future here, right? Given the fact that it's profitable regardless of market, things go up and down. This is an area where people still tend to make a lot of money. I mm -hmm. think you're going to see that this is an area where some logistics technology is probably going to pop up before we know it. Yeah. Good. What do you got for us, Doug? Good. Well, my first topic is um, kind of like the more things change, the more they stay the same, which you made mention the 1991 ocean uh, reefers haven't changed a lot. So I was trying to do some due diligence here and give the rail industry some some uh, some pub. You know, we talk about it time and again, and we haven't um, this calendar year and, and been a while. So I'm like, okay, what's, what's shaking in the rail industry? And... Um, we're just so here's the things that popped up when I was doing a little research this morning. Um, kind of what's the deal with the strike? It was big business or big news uh, last month, still kind of out there, but it kind of got resolved. Lawmakers are asking for um, to lift service embargoes into certain areas, whether that's due to volume or weather. Um, there needs to be billions of dollars of capital because the infrastructure isn't what it used to be. And then obviously there's all the fodder about collaboration between all the class ones and all that kind of stuff. So I started thinking, I'm like, how is that different from a press release from 10 years ago? So um, thanks to the Google machine, www.com, I went out and did some research. And, and the, the, the uh, comments that were popping up from the rail industry in 2013, uh, growth of intermodal, Right. We've talked. To, I didn't make mention of that, but that is one that's popped up and intermodal has always been uh, a topic. Um, they needed the, 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 the presser said there was about one hundred and forty nine billion dollars that was needed for infrastructure growth, um, safety in the EPA. And how do we make sure the rails are compliant and all the new regulations that are that are coming around and what that impact has? So I started thinking that that headline in 2013 and the headlines I was reading in 2023 weren't a whole lot different. So then I dove deeper, uh, got down a little bit of a wormhole, and I started thinking, forget the rail. Is our industry just cyclical in the point that all we're doing is 
talking about the same handful of issues year over year over year over year or decade over decade over decade. And is that just uh, a microcosm of, of everything in life, right? You and I have talked about the get off my yard guy. Well, there was the get off my yard guy back in the 1800s when they didn't <laughs> want him in their fields, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's the wormhole I started going down. But I think my going back to my point is that the rail topics 10 years ago are pretty much the rail topics that we're talking about right now. And I started thinking that maybe that's just the cyclical nature of our industry, rail, ocean, air, ground, the whole nine yards. So it's not really a, a, a forward-leaning comment, Pete. It was just something that popped up when I started doing a little uh, research this morning on rail. I, I don't know. What do you think? Are we cyclical in nature and just talking the same topics in different languages every 10 years? We, we, are, we are not only cyclical. This is an industry that never seems to learn its lesson. And mm. I, it was a couple weeks ago, I think we talked about this, where I said, there's this bizarre boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. You know, the industry's great. What do we do with all that money? Companies buy back their stock. They hand out gigantic bonuses. They don't invest in infrastructure. Um, we have we have a moment where everything about the internal infrastructure of America's logistics um, heartbeat is clearly failing. And now that it isn't, do we hear anybody talking about trying to fix the infrastructure of our supply chain anymore? No, it's, we've already forgotten about it, right? The biggest mm -hmm. complaint now is that Pete Buttigieg isn't, isn't flying commercial and that the, um, you know, the FAA needs to work on its technology. We've forgotten just how nasty things were with these ports and with the intermodal um, uh, throughways and everything else that went along with it. There's so much that needs to be fixed, but we only seem to care about it when it's right in front of us. Mm -hmm. It's right in front of us. And Doug, back to the telling the future thing, no one is going to give a damn about this until something fails again. And we're going to talk a lot about it. Someone's going to throw a tiny bit of money at it to make it look like they're doing something about it. And nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Until there's money to be made, the people that have to do something about it, which is our industry, aren't going to do anything about it. And the, the lack of capacity and those choke points, you know, the connectors not yeah. working right, they make money for the people you know, we, we actually, we benefit from it being broken. So why on earth would yeah. we ever fix it? I, I equate this to the whole, the whole horse crap in New York problem, right? Back when everything in major cities, when everybody moved by horseback and, and by horse carriage, their biggest problem was there was horse crap everywhere. You know, there was, there was just piles and piles of horse crap everywhere. And the cities were getting so big that they were saying, if we don't do something about this, There'll be, there'll be more horse turds than we'll have the ability to move anywhere. And then what happened, Doug? We invented the car. The yeah. motor car and the truck showed up, and it wasn't a problem anymore. And then the next problem is, well, now we've got environmental issues, and what goes on with that? And now it's happening. We have electric cars. Then we'll deal with you know the, the, all the gases and all the CO2 stuff. And then what's going to happen? We're going to have fusion. And then we're going to be able to power whole cities on gallons of seawater. Like it, it's just, there's always something that's there that technology will be the next thing. And everybody likes mm -hmm. to say I'm crazy for saying this, but I believe in cross country tunnels. I believe in 3D, three dimensional underground is probably where this is going to end up going. And I also believe in the idea that there's something next. There is, there is a technology beyond containerization and intermodal that is waiting for us. I don't know if it's hyperlink. I don't know if it's if it's these these underground tunnels. But Doug, there is something that's going to come that is going to replace containerization and replace intermodalism, 
It will meet with resistance, but it will end up saving us and saving the environment. And then we can all throw our styrofoam coffee cups out the window and not have to worry about it. Mm. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty deep. You, you took my, <laughs> my cursory overview to the next level, right? I, I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not even going to, I'm going to make one comment and that's it is the whole tunnel thing, Pete. That's, I know you hate it. You that's drone-ish. Yeah, that's drone-ish. Drone-ish. That could be our word for the year. Pete, you're being drone-ish again. You and your you're stupid drone-ish ideas. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah, turn that one back on you eventually. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. So, uh, halftime brought to us by Cap Logistics. Uh, this will be a good one. I don't know. You yeah. want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Yeah. As always, we want to thank Cap Logistics for all of their support. To learn more, uh, please visit them at caplogistics.com. Without them, the show wouldn't happen. Um, please do thank them. Check them out. And do tell your friends. Um, hammer that subscribe button and never miss an episode of Global Trade this week. Uh, we do thank them for the use of uh, our good friend, the button-pushing Wookiee, Keenan. Um, who is looking very hairy right now. He, he's on assignment in, what did you say? Did you say Breck? Like, I'm supposed to know what Breck is? Wasn't it like, yeah. is that where he said Breck? Not yeah. Breck, brah. Um, so that's that's what Keenan is doing right now. But I have the first halftime this week. So um, if you could have a two-week vacation anywhere for you and, uh, and, and the missus, Doug, where would you want to go and, and why? So if money weren't an object and you could spend two weeks anywhere, and let's just say it's one place, unless you had something, yeah. you know, what would you want to do for two weeks, Doug? Hmm. Yeah, I caught that one just momentarily. So this, I, I'm kind of thinking off the top of my head, but I like being active. My wife and I love being active. And contrary to the things we spoke about earlier, I would probably want a vacation more in warm weather because I get more cold weather up in the mountains. So I'm thinking okay. active, warm weather. I can't sit on a beach for more than a day and I need to get out. Um, and I'd probably go to two locations. You said it could only be one, but I, I can't do a two week vacation in one location. I got to move around. So warm weather active, maybe here, here you go, Pete. I was talking to somebody the other day with my new job, which is headquartered in Fresno, California. I go out there uh, frequently, the Muir path, you know, Muir woods, there's a path that goes kind of in that general area. And it's like, I don't know, 10 day hike where you like uh, ship your food to these stations and you basically wow. walk for, for 10 days. I wouldn't do it for 10 days, but I, I kick it for you know, three, four days and then eject someplace that's a little bit more enjoyable. So two locations, warm weather, definitely active, a little bit of sitting around. And uh, I guess that'd be about it. I couldn't tell you exactly where, but that would be it. Okay. Now, um, what about you? Mine's a little, little easier than that. Um, I would probably go to Tuscany. Uh, Mrs. Trey Geek and I do like the wine. We do like the grape. So we would mm -hmm. probably go to Tuscany and um, get a villa somewhere and then have someone sober drive us to vineyards every day for two weeks and have someone come and cook for us at said villa. So I, unlike you, would would really expel very few calories. I, I would, I would wake up at the crack of noon every day with a debilitating hangover. I would take a dip in the pool at my villa. Um, I would then have some eggs and then get into a chauffeur driven car to a different vineyard every day. I would drink myself silly on fantastic, like super Tuscans and, and that kind of a thing. 
um, then come back with some of the wine that I bought, drink even more of it, swim for a bit more, and then have a professional chef make me my favorite type of Italian meals and um, all the carbs. I would eat all the carbs, all the pastas, all the pork, all the beef, all the fish, and fresh bread every single day. And then I would wind down my evenings smoking cigars, um, having Mrs. Trinke tell me how brilliant I am, looking at the stars <laughs> and enjoying that. And if, if that, and then the next time I had two weeks, I would do basically the exact same thing. I would fly to Paris and then I would go to like, you know, Burgundy and I would do that. I would basically spend the rest of my life, Doug, two weeks mm -hmm. at a time going to wine regions until I had done them all. And then I would start all over again. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that, that that this whole topic popped up because you woke up this morning, there's six to eight inches of snow yeah. falling in, in, in your room and you're like, this sucks. I need, oh. I need to go to my happy place. Yeah. We were watching a show this weekend and I saw like they were in Rome and I would push a nun down a flight of steps right now to be in Italy. Like I would, mm. I've, I've been on this diet for too long. I am, I am, I would just, I would love to shove my face in a plate of pasta and then just double chug bottles of red wine. I'm going to Mardi Gras pretty soon. So there'll be a little yeah. respite, you know, but I'm telling you, man, I'm losing it. I could really use all <laughs> Europe right now. So that's, that's my halftime. What's yours, buddy? Nice. All right. So mine is related to the movie industry, right? You're For so two reasons. The, the second one is most important and I'll, I'll end with that one. But I saw something about Avatar now being like $2 billion national um, box or excuse me, worldwide box office. And um, so I said, okay, well, what have been the top 10? And I started looking at it and um, all of these, uh, the top 10. So top 10 are either Avatar, Star Wars, or Marvel movies. That's nine of the 10. The only movie in there that has an original screenplay that has any type of uh, creativity uh, beyond the original episodes of Star Wars, Marvel, uh, is, is Titanic, right? Oh. And so... My my thought is, is I think that the movie industry is just lazy now. They just glob on to uh, a topic that um, has drawn and they keep building on it and building on it. And there's limited creativity. Like the new Avatar, is it what's it called? Nerds in the Water or something like that? Like he's already got five of them planned or four of them planned. He's just going to cash in money. So maybe it's brilliant. I don't know. But I'm a little disappointed that the laziness of uh, what's coming out of of the uh, the movie industry is just remakes of blockbusters, right? So I, I'm not mm -hmm. a big fan, but uh, the, the movie yeah. thing caught, and this is the most important one, Pete. So I have a college roommate. Uh, his name is Tom Walker, lives in New York City, and uh, he works for UNICEF, and he's kind of the, the media guy, and he does all the, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, advertisement and stuff like that, you know, produces things. Anyway, long story short is that he went to the Sundance Film Festival and UNICEF, UNICEF had, uh, was the winner of the best brand storytelling uh, movie, if you will. It was like a 30-minute short. And uh, Tom was the supervising producer of the short and they won. So shout out to uh, my good friend from college, Mr. Thomas Wigglesworth Walker in being a supervising producer for an award-winning best brand storyteller at Sundance. So had to give him a shout out. I was pretty proud of him. So Doug, um, I've never in the history of this show 
mm-hmm. wanted to tell you that you were more wrong <laughs> than you are right now. So let's start with the premise of your wrongness. All right. Okay? Those action films that you're crapping all over are masterpieces of fantasy and they are they're they're beloved for a reason. They're beloved because they're so damn good. Mm-hmm. And if you could remove the stick from your rectum for a few hours and just watch a few of them, you might actually enjoy them because they're they're great. They're fun. They're not meant to be like thought-provoking films. They're movies. Mm-hmm. Like Maverick was a fun movie. Did you like Maverick? Maverick was great, right? I loved Maverick. Better, I better loved- than the original. Yeah, we, we both loved Maverick. We talked about it on the show. We loved Maverick. Same idea. I'm not going to see Black Panther because it's going to change my life. I'm going to see Black Panther because it's entertaining as hell. All right? But the second half of this is where I'm going to have to hit you with a shovel of wisdom. Doug, <laughs> some of the... Me. Some of the best films that you're ever going to see are being made right now because so many platforms for entertainment currently exist. And we are in a position now where we can see them. So you're not, you're not dependent on the cinema infrastructure to be exposed to film. So mm-hmm. just, just there are all these amazing movies that right now, from the comfort of Castle Draper, you could sit there with a drink in your hand and you could watch them tonight. Um, the the Triangle of Sadness, as an example, The Whale, The Menu, The Pale Blue Eye, which is an amazing movie. It's so bizarre. The ending will blow you away. Um, uh, the Banshees of Inverness is an amazing movie. The Invitation. I can go on and on. There are so many incredible films that did not cost a lot of money to make. Those did, but that did not cost a lot of money to make that are independent, that we never would have been able to watch, that are currently available to watch on all these streaming services. There's almost too many, Doug. Mm-hmm. It's just, you want 50 Mavericks. Like, you know, you're saying, when does the next movie with The Rock come out? I'm sorry, dude. There has never been a better time to be alive if you love good writing, excellent acting, fabulous directing, and outrageously good um, um, photography than there mm-hmm. is right now. You're mm-hmm. wrong. You're wrong, Draper. You're wrong. Well, all those things you just said weren't about money. If you want to make a big blockbuster movie and cash a paycheck, you just recycle the same shit that we've been seeing for years. No, after years, after years. no. I didn't, I didn't even know Mandalorian was part of Star Wars. Right? That's I, because I you don't. That's because you don't care about the universe. If you <laughs> want to make a lot of money, you put it on a streaming site. You make. You can make a crap ton of money. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about distribution, all those things. It just shows up on your streaming service. Mm-hmm. The things that I we were talking mm-hmm. about Yellowstone and the whole Yellowstone universe. The number of people that that sat there with bated breath, waiting for eighteen twenty three and nineteen twenty three, like they they couldn't wait for it. The whole uh, Anne Rice stuff that's coming out right now with the Mayfair witches, with uh, the remake of Interview with a Vampire. People blew out AMC being able for the chance to watch all of that. Mm-hmm. Don't even get me started with how well, like bizarre neat shows like the mayor of Kings, the mayor of the, the mayor of Kingstown, and then yeah. the one with with um, Sylvester Stallone, the the whole Tulsa King. No one saw that coming. It blew people yeah. away, man. Doug, we've got we got to get you to watch some great film. Go go see the whale. You'll I, love it. Watch I'm the pale blue eye. You'll love it. I'm, 
I'm all about good filmmaking. That's not my point. My point is if there's some lazy producer out there that wants to crush it, they're going to remake another Marvel movie or put nerds in the water for Avatar or something like that. that that's nerds where the creativity the is non-existent. You don't have to spend as much money to make as much money. And I think we should applaud the industry for saying that because today, if you and I had a great idea and we wrote it, you and I could make a movie right now and we wouldn't need the huge film industry to actually back it, to make it happen. So we should be applauding this, not poo-pooing it. It's a good (laughs) thing. It's a good thing for creative people everywhere. All right. What's this show called again? Is it Global Trade This Week? or It is Global Trade This Week. It is not halftime with Pete and Doug. So we should get back to trade. Yeah. And you, yeah. So I'm, I'm up, right? You can make a movie about what I'm about to talk about. So the yeah. um, one of the biggest problems with reshoring manufacturing to North America mm. is Mexico. So Mexico has become, for a lot of major industries, the destination of choice for reshoring. And it's a great thing. We're particularly seeing it in the heavy industry segments, the chemical segment. A lot of companies are are looking at the availability of both production, the shortened logistics timeframe, and the lessons that were learned through the pandemic and saying, let's give Mexico a chance. What's holding them back is their, their, their board of directors and their investors saying, is anybody else watching the news? Anybody? Because I'm watching the news and I'm seeing what looks like something out of like a Netflix special that's <laughs> happening every other day when I when I turn on TV and I see them having what looks like a war between their version of the army and these drug cartels. And I don't know if we want to have a major investment down there. Something needs to break here. Something needs to change. And, and if you were to talk to people who are much more closer to this than I am, they'd say that's what we're watching is the, the Mexican government making a stand, showing that they're committed to bringing some sort of peace and rationality to the border. But then you'll talk to other people who are more politically connected saying, you can make all the stands you want. You can make all the commitments you want as long as Americans like doing cocaine, and as long as Americans are, are, are you know, chomping down fentanyl and every other drug, this is mm-hmm. going to keep going. So I think we're at a bit of a stalemate here, Doug, between America's desire to produce and purchase goods made in Mexico because it's better for their supply chains and Americans desire to purchase and consume cocaine. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This this one's going off the rails quick, but it's a good point. So here's my two take. There's two types of um, logistics, right? You got the the ones that own the rails, the whole auto industry that's been down there for for decades. They got it dialed in. They, they own the rails. It's, it's insular. That's fine. It's working. It, it's the guys that want to do the right thing. The guys and the gals that say, I need to source my products, not in China or overseas. I need it closer. I have no idea how to do that. I just did all that in China, trying to find the right person to make the right widget. Now I got to do it again. Yep. I want to do the right thing. I only have so much cash flow. I can't keep all my product and my money tied up while I drive overseas. So there's a lot of like, I want to do the right thing. Um, so I think there's going to, that's the group that is on the tipping point, right? And there's going to be a lot of consultants that pop up good and bad that say, I know exactly where you need to make your widget. Follow me. I'll show you where, and they'll be able to make some money on, on that whole process. Some will be above board. Some will be below board, but my general thought on that Pete is that a cartel wants to make money. Stuff has to move and trans transact. 
and make money. So I would think that they're not trying to stop it. I think they're trying to control it and 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 navigate it to their ability. They meaning the cartels uh, and um, uh, bad actors, if you will. So I, I think you'll be able to get down there and make your widget pretty quick. But there's going to be a lot of people touching it to try to get their their take and their uh, and and their skimming off the top. So anyway. My take is it's the guys that want to do the right thing, the guys and the gals. They don't know where to go. Um, but I don't think the cartels are going to prevent that because if there's more stuff being made in Mexico um, and they can move it uh, northbound, you know, it's another uh, delivery method. I, I call it the mule for the, the cocaine that's coming up. But it'll be interesting to see how that shakes up. That's just me pontificating on the two different types of supply chains that could get set up down there and the two different types of business models. But uh, it is interesting. I don't think it's getting a whole lot of press. Take it a step further, Doug, and um, it gets even crazier, right? So think of all of the avocado production and lime production that's now controlled by the cartels mm-hmm. who saw that they, they saw that mass amount of, of produce and commerce that was coming to America. And they said, this is a great way to diversify. You know, we have to start getting into politics and into legal, legal business. So this is a great place to start. Then they said, how about real estate? That makes sense, right? There's only, they're not going to make more Mexico, so let's buy as much of it as we can. And what do they get into? Commercial real estate. They got into warehousing. They got into distribution centers. Makes a lot of sense. It's, it's exactly what you talked about. Let's get involved in where we have touch points. Now, at this point, it's le- they're saying it's legitimate. You know, We'll see. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about how involved they are in trucking, how involved they are in the... Um, you know, the employment of, of, of that, but they've also, they've been connected to um, hiring temp, temp workers and people that work in these warehouses, which is pretty scary. If you think about what sort of, you know, access they have to what's going on down there, but as yeah. they see, just like, just like in prohibition here in the U S all the mafia, they, they ended up getting involved in other businesses. The same thing I imagine is happening in Mexico now as they become more engaged with legitimate businesses to try to diversify themselves and pull themselves out of a business that they see eventually probably moving away from something that they can control. But it's scary, mm-hmm. man. It's scary. And as long as they can be engaged in it and make money, maybe they'll pull themselves away from the more violent aspects of it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you just did the synopsis of Tulsa King pretty much right there. Yeah, no kidding, right? It, yeah. Yeah. I saw it. I binged it. I loved it. It's a good yeah, show. It was fun. It was a fun show. What do you yeah, got? I, Take us home, buddy. All right. We'll keep this one short and sweet, but it's related to commercial real estate and, and warehousing, right? We talked about the connectors and, and how if you just follow the flow of products as they come into the U.S., when things were, were booming in the modern day um, uh, roaring 20s, you know, the ocean freight got impacted and then it hit the hit the coast and then the transition and the, and the, the cross dock facilities and then the domestic uh, deliveries um, and all of those pieces just had this huge curve that went through them. So now we're seeing all of that kind of settle down, right? Ocean freights are getting back down to normal trucking rates and capacities. The, the one thing that hasn't gotten a lot of uh, publicity is the warehousing aspect of it, right? So I'm in that industry. Um, I know a little bit about it, um, but you're not going to see here. Here's the, 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 the down and dirty piece. Keep things moving forward. Warehouse rates are going to, um, uh, uh, reduce, if you will, inland 
But if you are on the coast and you own property and you own real estate, you're not going to see any um, uh, warehouse commercial real estate leases go down. They're going to maintain or go up. And, and it's really about the fact of um, companies that can't afford to have their product delayed inland, right? I, I just blew my budget. I got crushed because I um, there was a, a, an influx of product. I'm sitting on too much inventory. I cannot afford to have my next import go from uh, California all the way to Denver. Just stop it in California. Get it off the damn ocean container. I need to start selling it because the interest rates are high. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, financing my inventory. I got to get it selling. So you're going to see a lot of stopping of the supply chain in California and other port cities where the real estate and the warehousing uh, costs are going to maintain or they're actually going to continue to go up. So inland, if you're cool with bringing your stuff into the Denvers of the world and the Kansas cities, I think you're going to see some relief. But coastal and port cities, warehousing is uh, warehousing rates and availability and capacity are going to be very strained here in 2023. That's my That's my take on that one. Yeah, big, big agreement there. And, and the reason for that is what we've been talking about, you know, intermodal rates and intermodal availability, congestion and all of it going into the middle. It's it's going to make it pretty difficult to have the reliability of capacity and reliability of cost of capacity. The pandemic has taught a lot of companies how to cross-stock intelligently and how to use cross-stocking intelligently. Mm-hmm. So they're saying good times, bad times. It's a pretty cool way to manage the turnaround on containers and to manage the flexibility of my supply chain. So why not have that as an all the time option when I'm dealing with the West coast or the East coast. So I can turn that container around pretty quickly, get my stuff where it's going and um, have a little more flexibility. Unfortunately, that means you've got to, you've got to trust someone's warehouse, got to have that capacity on demand. And in order to have that capacity, when you need it, you're going to pay more for it because mm-hmm. it's it's captured it's captured capacity, which means you're going to have to pay for it if you want to have it all the time. People, I can remember, you know, back in the early 2000s, people were looking at these folks that were investing in warehousing, saying, you know, what are you doing? And it's just in time now. It, it was a brilliant investment mm-hmm. if you look at it now in 2023, because e-commerce and so much of what we've learned past pandemic, post pandemic really does require a handoff. It requires a handoff and people don't want to invest in that handoff. So as much as it may be expensive to use a third party, it's still so much cheaper than trying to do it yourself at those coasts. And then nobody wants to have a whole crap ton of inventory in the middle of the country if they can avoid it. They want to hand that hot potato off to someone else. Doug, you're absolutely spot on about this. I think by the time you and I finally leave this miserable industry, you're going to see those rates higher and higher, technology becoming much more integrated, and people finding even smarter ways for that handoff to happen, more integration at those places, and then people in the middle of the country becoming less and less affected by it where that warehousing is still going to be there, but it's just Mm -hmm. going to be less and less involved as it is out in the coasts. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting 2023 for that... that, warehousing so anyway that's all i had man yeah so uh thanks again as always doug for being the uh salt to my pepper Mm -hmm. being the uh sugar to my cream Uh, it's always wonderful to spend this time together every week with you and with all of our listeners and our viewers at global trade this week we want to thank the good folks at cap logistics for making it happen Thanks to Keenan, as always, and thanks to you, our listeners and our viewers for coming week after week tell your friends subscribe 
And we'll see you again next week for another great edition of Global Trade This Week. See ya. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. See ya. Thank you.